1: Hello and welcome to the Motor City Hoops podcast. If you are new to the Motor City Hoops podcast, I am your host, Bryce Simon, a former D1 Hooper, current teacher, coach, husband, father of three amazing kids, and contributor at Detroit Bad Boys of SB Nation. Before we get into today's episode, I want to strongly encourage you to go listen to episode 80 that we recorded with Chris Oliver of Basketball Immersion. I'm not sure there's an episode that has gotten more feedback and people reaching out to say how much they enjoyed it. Chris was pure gold, and if you have the time, definitely something you should check out. I also dropped my newest article on Detroit Bad Boys looking at ball screen situations for the Pistons. Please make sure you are following us on Twitter, at Motor City Hoops, and subscribe to the Motor City Hoops YouTube channel. But let's get to this episode and yet another amazing guest we have for all of our listeners. A good friend, a Michigan native, Pistons fan, creator of Quest for the Best and Rise Network. Oh, and he also writes for basketballnews.com and one three seven PM and is going to law school. The amazing basketball mind, Matt Isa, is here with us again. Thank you for joining us, Matt, and welcome back to Motor City Hoops.
2: Hey, Bryce, thank you for having me, man. You should have um you should have adjusted that last part to um reluctantly going
1: to law school. <laughs> um, I saw- I know Monday was your first day back, yeah. and I saw your tweet that you weren't uh, necessarily overly excited about that. Yeah, I know I spent a good chunk of
2: my uh, my first class because they have us on Zoom right now for the first three weeks because of a uh, COVID stuff, and um, I, I spent a good chunk of my uh, criminal law class on uh, NBA Twitter, so. The future is bright for our justice system.
1: (laughs) Well, I I know you and I have talked about this, and and I have no doubt that you're going to land a a basketball writing job content creation that maybe you won't have to use that law degree um, quite as often and as early as you want. But let's get to this week's episode where we'll dive into Cade Cunningham and what Matt thinks about him after him and I collaborated on an article breaking down his game. We will also get Matt's thoughts on the bull bull trade, the offense in general, Killian Hayes' role, the impact of Kelly Olenek's return, and much more. But to start us off, we will give our thoughts on Monday night's game versus the Jazz since we were recording immediately after that 126-116 win by the Pistons in which Detroit shot 51% from three and Sadiq Bey and Cade Cunningham each scored 29 points and even another 16 on four, four from three from Corey Joseph. Matt, I'm going to let you go first. I only caught the first half of this game where I was really able to focus in. I was recording with Guys Being Dudes, which is part of Matt's Rise Network and that is a great episode you should check out on Tuesday evening when it drops but Matt what did you think about this game what were your what were a couple overall takeaways from this Pistons win over the Jazz uh well okay the first
2: thing is and um, you mean you talk about this in an article we wrote for basketball news on Cade Cunningham that we've talked about that i feel like doesn't get brought up enough is the motor thing with Cade uh he's you know it's not it's not incredible he's not he's definitely like a cyclist or anything like that and so I don't know if you remember this in the second quarter, but remember when Cade goes to the rim on? I think Conley was guarding him, and he doesn't get by him. So he does that little spin move, contested like a uh, post fadeaway, doesn't go in. And the next play, I could start to see him breathing a little heavier, and he's like late on tagging Hassan Whiteside, and it, it ends up um, they end up scoring on that play, and then he ends up taking it to the rim and like barely dunking. But uh, I just started going like, oh no, there's the there's the fatigue on Cade right there, but, um, in the fourth quarter, I know you didn't get to see that, but he was awesome on defense and he was, it wasn't like he was playing off ball. Like he was right in the thick of things. He was either on Conley or Donovan Mitchell, and you know how the jazz use those two and with all the ball screen stuff. And I kind of got poo pooed for, for something I said about, um, off ball movement and how it pertains to Utah on Twitter. But, um, yeah, he was all over the place. He made, of course, of course, most notably that game clinching block on Conley. Um, but no, his motor was awesome. And it, I was looking when they brought him in, they brought him in at the eight minute mark, which is not like crazy, like amount of rest in the fourth quarter. It's like a decent bit. But um, I don't know what to chalk that up to. I, I mean, more times than not, I've seen him get tired and fatigued in the second half of games. So I'm not going to say like, out of nowhere, he's developed this incredible cardiovascular endurance. But for what he did on the offensive side of the ball, seeing him still be pretty solid on defense in the second half, especially in that fourth quarter, was like pretty cool for me.
1: No doubt. And the thing with Kate is he is... He's really, really good. And we're going to talk about Cade a lot on this episode. But who else on that roster impressed you? Just in tonight's game, you don't have to go like big picture with them. You know, Sadiq Bey had 29 points. Corey Joseph had, like I said, a good game with 16. Um, Hami had 10 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, and only 1 turnover. You know, was there another player that really stood, really stood out to you during the game tonight?
2: Okay, you're going to laugh because we've kind of talked about this, but I, I was – because we talked about it, I was paying more attention to him tonight, but Hami, Hami had some moments, and I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. I could see the vision. I know you've talked about, oh, give him more usage. He could be like a, a fun six man. And I, I could see the vision there. He's really athletic. You know, he gets up. He, he plays hard on defense. He doesn't try to do more than he can. I like that. Corey Joseph, of course, you know, I think the broadcast said it. He's a veteran's veteran. He, he hit a couple big shots down the stretch when he was open. There's not too much more you can ask from him. Um, I loved uh, Beef Stew, man. Trey Lyles was getting eaten up by Hassan Whiteside in the second quarter. And, you know, Stew really got physical with him. He's not, you know, he's not the vertical guy. I know he got the two blocks early in the game, but then he got posterized by Hassan because he couldn't get up that high, but he's strong. And he's really really good on that second jump because of how hard he is, how hard he tries. But um, you mentioned Bay, and I was actually unimpressed by him tonight. And – I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but is it like Sadiq Bey's only move when he has the ball in his hand? is like he's going to try and overpower you. He's going to try and bump you. Like he doesn't have like any dribble moves or any real means for gaining separation.
1: Yes. So, I mean, I guess that's where I would say I am impressed by Sadiq Bey is I think what's here's what I'd say. What's made Sadiq Bey successful over the last couple of weeks Matt, and I think most people would agree with this, is he's learned what he's capable of doing right now this season, and he's sticking to that now. He's -hmm. he's kind of staying in his lane in terms of, I'm going to catch and shoot it, If they close out hard, I'm going to straight line drive it. And most likely I'm just going to make it a power, like a power move. I'm not going to try to Euro you. I'm not going to try to do a whole bunch of dribbles. And if they cut me off, then I'll make the pass. And, and that's kind of his lane right now. And when he tries to go outside of his lane then usually miss shots, turnovers, and those type of things happen. So I know maybe that doesn't excite fans that that's all he is, right? I shouldn't say that's all because he still had 29 points and six rebounds, but and he was efficient tonight. But I think the fact that he's found where he can be successful for the rest of this season is good, and what that is can be really good for this team. I think what it'll be is like, is he ever able to do the other stuff? And I'm just not sure, to be quite honest with you.
2: Yeah. And I mean, you know, this is a coach. Like, I think the most important thing when you're watching these guys is process. What's the process look like? And like, to me, I think like the process looks the same as when I watched them in the beginning of the year. It's just now the shots are going in. So that's what I'm kind of like, okay, I still like, I still don't really like this process. Like, it doesn't look that great to me that you're, you know, you're putting the ball on the floor and your real only mechanism for separation is, hey, I'm going to see if I'm stronger than you. And he's like strong to his credit, but like, it's not like Luka Strong where that's going to work every single time. And he's, of course, not going to be like Luka Doncic in terms of volume scoring, but process is a little iffy for me. And right now he's just – the shot's going in, so like no one's going to complain. But I just wonder long-term. And maybe you're right. That's a good observation. He knows his lane. And that would mean that his his usage – the ideal version of Sadiq Bey would definitely be a lower usage guy than he is right now.
1: Yeah, and I agree. And I think that's – I think they need to find that out because is Sadiq Bay a guy that can really like is he going to be a volume wing scorer next to Caden Company or is he kind of this I guess I, I feel like this is almost an overused term anymore but is he really just I hate we're saying the same the word gist but is he just going to be a three and D guy you know like what is that going to be and he's still too young I think to just cap what his ceiling is but I think what is encouraging to fans. Matt is early in the year. We weren't seeing him make shots. We were seeing him mm-hmm. really, really, really struggle. And now, you know, like tonight, he goes five of seven from three. He's had a good stretch of games playing this role, playing within himself. And I think if nothing else, it's just reminded fans that this guy is a good player and he can be a, a major or at least a really good contributor on a team moving forward. And so I think that's why it's exciting. And I think that's why people are really high on Sadiq Bay over the last couple of weeks. You know, the Pistons shoot 51% from three 92% from the free throw line as they go 11 for 12. Like, I don't know what, again, I missed a lot of the second half, so you're going to help me here. Like, did they just outshoot the Jazz there in the third and fourth quarter? Is that what happened? Like, I never would have guessed they would have made eight more threes than the Jazz. So, like, what happened in this game overall in the second half that allowed the Pistons to overcome a 22-point deficit at one time and get a back-to-back win?
2: Well, I mean, it started, like, again, this is going to sound like I'm, like, over-elucidating it, but, like. It starts with Cade Cunningham, man. He he came out of the second half. He hit his first, I think, four or five shots, whatever it was. And that opens up the whole offense. He had the step back going. Something that, you know, he struggled with mightily this season was that step back. hit it a couple times tonight. Um, but he had that going. And then once that happened, it was a lot of ball screens with Cade manning the, the, the top. And, you know, he was hitting skip passes. He was starting power plays. And that really, a lot of open looks for them in the second half. They definitely, I wasn't like, I wasn't tracking it or anything, but I'm, I'm sure they had more open looks than the Utah Jazz open threes. And, you know, I, of course, like I hate to say it, but it is like a make or miss league. And if you're going to have more open shots, there's a good chance you're going to win the game.
1: Now, I mean, I think that's one thing we agree on and we don't have to go into that on this episode, but but sometimes it is just as simple as that. And I, I know people don't always like to hear that, but it, it it is the truth in some situations at least. As we move on past this game, again, a Pistons 126-116 win over the Jazz. They play the Bulls tonight, if you're listening to this on Tuesday. Bulls are a team that we'll talk about a little bit later in some comparison to the Pistons. I do want to mention Dwayne Casey went into health and safety protocol covid protocols on monday and i just i just would be remiss not to wish coach casey the best and health and you know obviously some stuff's been going on with him where he was not able to travel with the team for a couple weeks there and just all the best to, to coach casey and his family everybody dealing with covid and then a big shout out to assistant coach rex tonight as he got the victory but let's let's transition gears transition here into the bull bull trade And I, I, I know I text you about this earlier on Monday and like, Hey, we have to talk about this. And I was in the same boat of you before I did my breakdown on Bull Bull that should be dropping sometime this week. It might be out Tuesday, maybe Wednesday on Detroit bad boys. What are your, like, what do you know about Bull Bull at all? What do you, you have any overwhelming thoughts about this trade, which was Bull Bull coming to Detroit in exchange for Rodney Magruder and a second round pick going back to the Denver Nuggets?
2: Yeah. So I was, I was fortunate enough. I'm get, I got a sneak peek at your article you have coming up on him for DBV and you made this, uh, you made a, like a joke, but it was funny to me. Cause you're like, you know, I haven't watched every minute he's played in the NBA, but <laughs> the thing is you reasonably could have watched every minute he's played in the NBA. Cause he's only clocked in about 300 minutes. You know what I mean? So like, that's how little we have on him right now. So there's like, I mean, that's why I don't know too much about the guy. Like we were talking about this before, but like, A lot of people, um, and this is not to, you know, attack anyone, but there's like a lot, way too many people out there who have like strong opinions about like every player in the league. And I mean, you know this as somebody who's like team specific, and I'm sure sometimes you get overwhelmed trying to stay on top of your one team and form honest opinions on your one team, you know, that you can't have like hard and fast opinions about every single player in the league. Like, you know, there is times where you're just not going to 100% be certain of something. But um, one thing I will comment on, and I think uh, it was Rod Beard of the Detroit Free Press who tweeted this uh, today. He made a really good point where a lot of people were saying it's like a, a low risk, high reward move. But I guess from what I understand, Rodney Magruder was pretty well respected by the locker room. And at the end of the day, you know, we can do numbers and stats all we want. But this is a game played by people and that stuff does, you know, mess things up. So it's not all good. Like we got this young guy who has this unrealized potential and you know he could be the guy who plays next to stew in the in the front court or whatever i mean you know there is there is definitely some cost to it so we have to weigh that but um i do like i do think it's i mean when you have a guy who is like what is he seven five or seven six who can put the ball on the floor can shoot like that is intriguing and we should be excited about that
1: So before, and I will give a little bit of a sneak peek into my breakdown coming and and talk about Bull Bull and what I saw, but I want to go back to something you just brought up. So I, I want to say I do like the trade. I'm a fan of the trade. And that's even with me souring a little bit on Bull Bull the player after doing my breakdown. But you brought up a really good point. Rodney Magruder's a vet who, you know, by all intents and purposes was a good locker room presence. So in general, Matt I'm not saying specifically this trade do you like the idea of them trading off a veteran like that I don't even know that the second round pick matters much but do you like the idea of them selling off Rodney Magruder to bring in a young project in Bull Bull who there are some reports out there that he may not be the easiest guy to get along with in the best locker room presence do you think that that could come back to bite them a little bit I think the standard it sets, and I've been, we've talked about this, and you you definitely gave me some good pointers
2: on on the situation that helped uh, broaden my opinion a little bit. But um, I'm not a fan of the idea of cheating uh, Jeremy Grant, to be honest, because this guy, he made it a huge deal that he's here for the city, for the black GM, the black coach. And so, like a guy who's willingly signing in Detroit, this is a guy we're talking about who. I mean conservatively is like a top seventy five player in the league right top eighty player in the league whatever he's he's willingly going to Detroit, which is not one of the five six best markets in the league. what kind of like moving forward you have this young core what are you what message are you sending to these guys like hey you know you're at the end of the day you're just an asset it's just a business we're gonna trade you when it's it's right like you know we're not gonna do what's best for you we're not gonna keep you um so it's like the the principle of it is. Is weird to me. I understand, like you explained to me that Grant doesn't want to be around if it's going to be like, a he might not want to be around, excuse me, if he's going to end up being like the third or fourth option on a bad Pistons team, like he'd prefer to be the third or fourth option on like a playoff contender. But it's just like the principle of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you bring up a good point. I've talked about it before with Derek Rose and I won't go all the way into it again, but I think those do things, Matt, those things, excuse me, those things do matter. And these guys share agents and agencies and all those people talk and like, you just don't want to get the rep of an organization that just like you say, trades off an asset as soon as it becomes valuable enough to do so, which is why I'm interested to see what ends up happening with Trey Lyles as well. I think he's played himself into where I could see some teams maybe wanting to Make a run at him, but it's also one of those things where maybe those guys want to do that. Maybe Rodney Magruder likes the idea of going to Denver and playing with the Nuggets team that is at least going to make the playoffs. Real quick, just for me on Bull Bull that the, the skill level is there, the length is there. There's a lot of things that you really like. He flashes some self offensively, where I'm just like, oh my gosh, like this guy is going to be fun. Defensively, he's probably a net neutral. He doesn't impact the game the way I was hoping. And a lot of it has to do with his activity level. And I'm not going to say he doesn't play hard. I I, I refuse to question a professional athlete in that way. I just really have a hard time doing it. But his activity level just doesn't always – really show out on film. He doesn't leave his feet for a block shot or for a rebound or for an offensive rebound. And so some of those things are where I have a little bit of concern. I do think it sounds like by Woj's report that we're going to see him get legitimate minutes with this team. And so I do think we're going to get a real chance to see what Bull Bull has. And that's something that he hasn't got in his young career is any sort of chance to play significant minutes night in and night out.
2: One thing that was a major red flag when I was reading what you uh what you wrote was the net neutral for a big man. I remember a while back I was either reading or listening to something Nate Duncan was talking about with his his knock on Jokic at the time. Jokic is now I think a plus defender. He's a really good defender, honestly. But at the time he was saying he's a net neutral defender. And when you're a big man, that's actually like being a negative because usually, you know, big men are counted on to anchor your defense to shore up weaknesses you know, protect the rim, all that.
1: No, I, okay. That's a great point, Matt, because I think that's why when I was watching the film, I was getting so frustrated with him and almost even had a hard time calling him a net neutral is because I'm like, he should be blocking that shot. He should be stealing that pass. He should be, and the way the Pistons play defensively, which is super, super aggressive. We've talked about this when we collaborated on the Kate article, which we'll get to here in in just a little bit. I was like, I thought maybe Bull Bull would be the back end of that where he could help protect the rim. And you would think with his length and everything else that he would. And I just didn't see that in the minutes. I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm just saying if – if Pistons fans are expecting that from Bull Bull, I'm I would have a hard time saying we're for sure going to see it. The other thing you're not going to see that you maybe would expect from a seven foot two guy with his length is I didn't see one single pick and roll lob uh, lob throw um, and finish. So that's another area where I know a lot of fans are are you know really want that, and I didn't see that in his game either. Doesn't mean it's not there. Doesn't mean it may not happen. I just didn't see it. But I want to transition to a big guy for the Pistons that was signed in the offseason and we haven't seen much recently due to his injury, but we may see coming up. And that's Kelly O'Linick. And I don't know, you know, again, like you said, Matt, you don't like to speak on things that necessarily you're not, you know, super familiar with. But I don't know how much you're familiar with Kelly Olynyk's game, or just in general what he could bring to the table that maybe the Pistons are missing right now. So uh, it sounds like he could be back soon. You know, what kind of things you think he could help this roster do as a as a big guy that's a floor spacer, a really good positional defender, and has a little bit of—I don't want to say he can create, but he's a decent passer.
2: Honestly, you summed it up perfectly. I've been thinking about it for a little while now because he played right from the beginning of the season. I think he's got, like, I was looking at it earlier. He's got, like, 250 minutes under his belt. So he started playing beginning of the year, and he got hurt, like, right around when Kade was getting his feet wet. But, like, I envision the two of them having a lot of fun together on offense because of Kelly Olenek's short roll passing ability. I think he can create out of the elbow if they want to run some horn stuff. Um. On defense, like you said, he just kind of reminds me of Vooch a little bit. He's positionally sound. You know, he's he's a little handsy. Um, I, like, I like a lot what he brings the floor spacing. I wish, like, I wish he was a rim protector because then I could say, oh, him and Stu would be, like, the perfect uh, four and five combo, you know. But, unfortunately, we can't have that, in a free agent, mid-level free agency signing.
1: I don't remember what his contract was. But, no, I, I'm excited about what him and Cade can do together. So that's what I wanted to ask. Like that's why you bring up Kelly Olinick, right? Like essentially everything's going to revolve around Cade Cunningham and how this player, that player or this offense or this deep whatever it is, how that fits Cade Cunningham and and so what do you like about what Kelly Olinick can do? Is it the the fact that he'll pick and pop? Is it a short roll passer as we see teams continue to trap Cade more and more? And after tonight, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more teams do it. Like, what is it about Kelly Olynyk? And you just mentioned that maybe him and Stu can't play together. So would you rather see Kelly Olynyk with Cade Cunningham or Isaiah Stewart?
2: No, I mean, I think they could play together. Just, you know, the rim's going to be naked. But um, no, he could, he could pick and pop. He can, he can make plays out of the short roll. But um, if it's like if it came down to one or the other, I'm still always gonna say Stu because like we know who Kelly Olynyk is, um, we we don't know what Stu is yet, and I still have a lot of hope for Stu. Maybe it's because I you know I have like a thing for like six foot nine big men who played for Detroit with like big biceps and are, are really tough. But um, no, I would rather have Stu. I mean, I could see a situation. Now you'd be more tapped in on this because you you talked to all the Detroit guys where. They try to feature Kelly a lot before the trade deadline and see what they could get for him. Cause I could definitely see a contender wanting Kelly's services.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm very interested in. And we're not going to get into the trade stuff this episode. We're bringing on Jared Greenberg from NBA TNT and NBA TV next episode and I, I to get like the trade talk and the value of some of these guys but I, i'm very interested to see if the Jeremy Grant trade if it does happen ends up being some sort of a package that includes a Kelly Olinick or i mean i i don't want it to happen but possibly a Hamadou Diallo or one of the sophomores and so make sure you come back next week for a little bit more of that talk but we we've we've kind of you know beat around the bush here a little bit 20 some minutes in let's get into Cade Cunningham you and i spent You know, 90 minutes on the phone talking about Cade Cunningham. You watched a ton of film. I watch every single game. You wrote an incredible article at basketballnews.com and I just provided a little bit of video to go along with it. So if you guys want to check that out, go to basketballnews.com, go find that Cade Cunningham article by Matt Issa, Matt M-A-T-I-S-S-A. But, you know, where do you want to start with that? Um, do we want to start with the Dave Bean comment and, and not to say anything about Dave, Dave being, but you know, it, do you think Kate Cunningham is a guy that can be built around?
2: Okay. So I'm, I was, I'm working on this, but um, you know, I think we, one thing we do a lot with uh, with rookies is like, we think a lot about what they could be. So we just kind of anchor like the great stuff that they do. And we like kind of look past all the, like the bad stuff. So like you know, you can show flashes like 3 4 5% of the time and 95% of the time it's like garbage and then you're like, "Oh, but there's this flash. Like if we can harness this, like it's it's beautiful." And like I guess like tonight's the worst night to talk about Cade Cunningham because I think he might have just had the best game of his career. And I'm going to The gonna best half real- for sure. Yeah, the best half and he was I mean, he was every bit as advertised. But so I wrote down this one play. It was in uh, the fourth quarter and I believe Mitchell has the ball. He's being guarded by jo- Joseph, um, and Cade goes in for a little sneak attack, and he steals the ball. Well, he like knocks the ball free. Joseph recovers. Cade's streaking in the fast break. Joseph throws the ball to Cade, but he like runs into the ref a little bit. It's not that like uh, blatant, so it doesn't really stop the play. But he slows down because he knows like the fast break. Is not going to work. But instead of trying to rush it, he's just so calm. He restarts the possession, and Sadiq Bey ends up getting a layup, and they're up by 10, and uh, Jazz have to call a timeout. I think the score ends up being 114-104 if you want to look at it on the play-by-play thing. But um, it was just, like, that poise, and I know this is silly. I know it's cliche, but, like, the guy's 19, maybe 20. I don't know what his birthday is. And, like, to have the presence of mind to not try to rush it. Like, I see Ant, who's got, you know, 80 more games under his belt than Cade and he would he would go in guns blazing with his head down and he would attack and he's awesome he's a super freak but cade the way he's so patient the way he doesn't change his face the guy the guy was going shot for shot with Donovan Mitchell in the third quarter Donovan Mitchell was one of the 15 best players in the world one of the 10 best offensive players in the world whatever and cade was going shot for shot with him he was unfaced he didn't get hype he was at home going toe to toe with the best offense in the league and that to me is, it means something i don't know that poise it tells me like you know, he's not going to be like Anthony Edwards athletic, but like the moment's not too big for that guy. And I know that's like, you know, some Jack McCallum sports writing cliche stuff, but that's that's really what he's shown me so far. So you're going to say yes.
1: Your answer is yes. Yeah. He can yeah. Be- I'm sorry, I got into all that <laughs> fog again. No, no, no. I think you can build the rock, kid. No, I want no, I, I just was making sure. I wanted you to go into all that because I enjoyed listening to you talk about it, and I know the listeners will as well, but I just wanted to make sure we're on the same page. Before we get into some more stuff, I want to bring up something. We went back and forth a little bit on Twitter because you brought up the clutch thing, but I came back at you. I don't know if you remember this from like a day or two ago. I've said, we've seen Cade in the clutch at the end of games, but I think there's so many clutch moments within a game in the first quarter that keeps a team from – you know they're down 10 and do you make the shot to stop the the bleeding or do you miss the shot and then the other team goes on another 6-0 run to make it 16 and you feel like you're out of the game you just highlighted two things that i feel like were huge from K tonight you said he went shot for shot with Donovan Mitchell in the third quarter and that's huge because I'm sure the Jazz woke up a little bit at a point there in the third and said, oh, man, the Pistons are for real. We better put them away right now. And then the other play you talked about that ended up getting a Sadiq Bay layup and putting him up by 10 or 11. Like, I think those are also clutch moments in a game that make huge momentum swings. So I just wanted to, like... I don't remember what your exact tweet was about clutch, but have I convinced you at all about that, like throughout a game, how important those plays are? Because I think that's one thing Cade Cunningham can get better at.
2: Yeah. Well, okay. So I think the tweet was something uh, me and uh, Samson folk over at Raptors Republic, we were talking about DeMar and I was saying like people's thing, like they used to do this a lot with Dame, with the clutch thing, you know, Dame time, whatever. And I, I'm saying like, you know, Dame might lead the league in clutch points and he might be real efficient in clutch time. But like, that just means like that they're in a lot of close games and usually great teams, you know, they blow teams out. So they don't, they don't end up in close games. But your point was like, I don't think I needed so much convincing. It was more so like, like, God damn it. Like, how did that old man think of that? Like, that's an awesome <laughs> point. You know what I mean? But um, no, I that love was, that, that was you great...
1: refer to me as an
2: old man. I love well, I mean, it. You, you are like 10 years my senior. But, um, <laughs> no, it's all, it's all love. but, uh, no, you're right though. Like that's, and that's something the box score doesn't, doesn't capture. You know, when we talk about clutch, it's like, oh, within five points, within five minutes left in the game, like that stuff to me is, is kind of overblown and it, you know, it's more so for fans and the, you know, quote unquote casuals, but, um, no, you're right. That stuff matters. And you know, it as a coach, like, you know, you have guys you can lean on where your team's like, okay, you know, they're on an eight Oh run this game slipping away like who am I going to call on who can I count on who are my leaders who are my like uh who are my seniors you know what I mean if you're talking high school basketball
1: no I agree and that's like I said that's you know there's been a lot of talk about Cade going back to college those the clutch stat and and I've been guilty of using it when he got drafted as an argument for how good he is and all that but as I watch more and more you know the again not to you know, beat a dead horse, but like the other team's going on a run, Cade gets an open three and misses it. Or the Pistons are on an eight-zero run where they could take the lead and he misses it. He just said, and I know we're nitpicking now. Like I think Cade's incredible. So I don't want people to take this the wrong way, but I think he's got to recognize those moments within a game a little bit more. It can't always just be wait till the end of the game. Let's switch gears to Cade's passing. Cause you brought up an interesting point about him not being a flashy passer. So I just want to ask you and let you speak on it just narratively speaking and to the the rest of the league, the rest of the NBA fan bases that don't watch him as intently as I do or Wes or Jack Kelly, shout out Jack Kelly, who's listening with us uh, as well here. Um, you know, how can that change the narrative around a player and his passing ability if they're not quite as flashy?
2: Well, I mean like psychology, you know, it's been, it's been mixed in the NBA for a long time now and anchoring is a huge thing. So, you know, You're going to remember uh, a LaMelo ball, full court, one-handed lob to Gordon Hayward, and you're going to be like, damn, that guy's a really good passer. And, I mean, he is an awesome passer, but you're not going to remember the little things that me and you see where Cade, like, anticipates the extra pass on a pick and roll and he hits Killian and he knows Killian's going to hit Stu under the rim or something like that. Like, you know, the average Joes who who just watch basketball because, I don't know why they watch it, but just because they they're not gonna pick up on that stuff, but me and you are. But honestly to me, like it's an advantage to be more of a I guess uh straightforward passer if you want to put it because I mean there's like a lot of the flash it comes with the cost, you know, like I've seen I studied Lamella Ball a little bit earlier this this year for a different article I wrote and I noticed like he 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 might overdo it a little bit, especially in transition and it costs his team points because he'd rather go, you know, behind the back uh corner three to a guy who's got uh somebody closing out really hard on him as opposed to a simple pass under the rim in cage. I don't see that as often. I guess I haven't looked for his intently. Kate also to his, uh, um, as a point against him, he hasn't been in as many transition situations as LaMelo. I don't think he's as transitionally inclined as LaMelo is, but um, no, I, I don't think it should. Like, I know it will because like, no matter how many times I tell you, Hey, don't let flashy passing anchor your bias. Like it will. That's how psychology works. But, no, I, I I love what Cade does as a playmaker.
1: Okay, so you brought up, you know, Lamelo maybe it costing his team when he gets a little bit too flashy, but Cade doesn't do that, but Cade still has some turnover concerns. Something you and I talked a lot about with Cade Cunningham when we discussed this. And I think it's becoming you know, the more you and I talk, the more I think it, it concerned me. And I think it started to concern you a little bit because the type of turnovers that we're seeing from Cade. So can you speak to the listeners? Again, I want to give you the chance because this this article was your inspiration. It was your idea. And I just came along for the ride. So can you give the listeners a little bit of an idea what what we talked about in terms of what those turnover issues were and then maybe even if you have any idea, like what does he need to do to fix them? You know, like we always sit here and we say, this guy can't do this. This guy's doing this too much. Like what can K do to get better at the turnovers we're talking about that we'd like to see him stop? I'm sorry, Bryce. I just got um 20 DMs from
2: uh, Motor City Hoops listeners saying you got to be, you got to stop being so humble, man, you're a basketball <laughs> genius. But um, no, I mean, in all seriousness though, I mean, you brought it to my attention. I'm always like, I've always been of the school, like, okay, young playmaker, like, he makes, he has a lot of turnovers, no problem. He's probably trying to bend the defense. Um, that's a good sign. But, like, when you watch Kate, it is a lot of low hanging fruit that could be corrected. I know today he had, like, a little lazy pass that Donovan Mitchell ended up stealing. You know, fortunately, it didn't cost them. And um, one thing that really resonated with me today is Josh Jackson made this ridiculously stupid pass. He was going under the basket, and he passed it to, like, I forget who, which defender. It was his back. He literally passed it to one of the Jazz defenders' backs and went out of bounds, thankfully. And I'm like to myself, like, I asked myself, like, is this my bias? Like, would I have, like, if Kay did that, I would have been like, oh, good job, Kate. Like, you attempted this high-level pass. I'm, I'm really proud of you. That shows growth. So that's something I need to work on. I know that's me thinking out loud. But um, long story short, I guess, like, listeners are starting to think this is like a theme of my dialogue, but um yeah, he does have like a lot of low hanging fruit that needs to be corrected. I don't think most of his turnovers are the promising kind, and i he I think he's at like nineteen percent turnover rate or something like that 20 percent that should definitely be close to like twelve or thirteen. he could there's definitely some stuff he could fix,
1: yeah, I mean, I just think you know the the turnovers he's a young player, and I think it's easy just to say that that he's a young player, but I do think some of the ones he's having or committing right now are ones that he could do a little bit better of a job with and I think we will I think he's a guy we've seen learn from his mistakes early in his career but I want to transition into Killian Hayes just a little bit and to do that I want to talk about the Chicago Bulls comparison that you and I have talked about a little bit and, and let's just keep it a little bit more towards Killian because I don't think all the other guys are on the roster to make the full comparison, but. The one I like the most for Killian Hayes and the listeners know this is Lonzo Ball, and Lonzo does a really good job fitting in with that Bulls between actually two ball dominant guys in Demar Derozan and Zach Levine. We have one of those guys already in Kate Cunningham. I don't know who the second guy is going to be. You know, it's it's. Yeah, I guess it's maybe hommy ish right now, but since everybody's returned, I don't think he's dominated the ball as much as we saw during all the COVID stuff. So just what do you think about Killian Hayes playing the Lonzo Ball role and that accumulation of talent in general? Is, is the Bulls' blueprint something the Pistons should try to follow in terms of those three perimeter-type players?
2: Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Bulls' model, honestly. Um, I know this isn't, like, unrelated to what we're talking about, but I love, like, the idea of a defense being anchored by two guards. Uh, I think that's really neat and, like, different compared to what we usually see in the NBA. But, um, yeah, I like – I watched Killian. I was watching him tonight. And in the second quarter, you remember he hit those two uh, back-to-back catch-and-shoot threes. And they just uh, – I started hearing your voice in my head, like, if Killian can be a 36% three-point shooter from the corners, he's got it. He's good. And I'm just like thinking about all the things he does. Like you know, he he defends well to point of attack. He he'll bump you in the in the paint. He's not afraid to get physical. He's a smart passer. He manipulates with his eyes. I'd honestly say at the at this moment, he's the best pure passer on the Pistons. I'd say it's better than Kate at just passing, creating wise. I'd say Kate's better, but um, he does everything really like solid. Maybe a little bit better than solid. It's just that shot, man. He's gotta he's gotta figure out that shot.
1: Okay. So the alternative for that then would be, because I agree, I do think he's a really good passer. And it was a, a, the game a couple nights ago, people were just crushing him. And I didn't. it was on Saturday night. I was at my nephew's birthday party and I didn't get to watch the game live. But when I watched it back after reading all the tweets, I was like, man, Killian must have been bad. And then I watched the game. I was like, yeah, he, he was fine. Like It wasn't spectacular. Maybe it's not what you'd want from the number seven pick in the draft, but Killian Hayes was fine. So if he is that good of a passer and he's not necessarily great creating on his own, but maybe in ball screen situations, do you think he's better off than not playing necessarily that Lonzo role as a connector between two stars, but actually being the leader of a second unit where he can dominate the ball and get some more ball screens for himself?
2: Mm, No, I don't think so. I don't think you want him, you know, his, I don't know that second unit guy is different like you want like I, I i bash him all the time because i don't think he should have been the sixth man last year but you know the, i think the archetype for your second unit guy is jordan clarkson you want that you know the quote-unquote bucket getter dude who can would run like just like a shit ton of ball screens and uh you know knock down shots in the mid-range take a bunch of uh pull up three-pointers and i don't think that's killian's game i think he is that connector guy he's really smart uh, he he doesn't demand a lot of usage. He doesn't have like a high scoring load he he requires. So no, I don't think that'd be a good role for him.
1: Okay, so you actually like what we've outlined, the Chicago Bulls, Monzo Bowl. Yeah, Lonzo Bowl. Okay, so... I don't. I, we talked about Hamadou Diallo. We we texted about this today. I said, you know, I, I don't think Hami's going to be that that guy, like that superstar next to Cade. If if we stay with the Bulls comparison, Demar Derozan would be Cade Cunningham, right? We agree on that, mm-hmm. um, because Demar Derozan is actually a really good passer and, and creator compared to what people think. Now, obviously, Cade shoots a lot more threes than Derozan, but in, in this comparison, so where do they like? How do they get that that other guy? Because it's not—I don't think it's Hami, I don't think it's Sadiq Bay, you know. So, do you think they should go all out on finding another wing and really staying with that model, or do they just come up with whatever they can get, whether that's a a high level wing scorer or it's a five man or a four or whatever? Like, do you think they should really go all in on that? Do you think they should with Caden Killian?
2: Okay, so. Um, is it, is it Keith Smith you have on usually for the cap stuff? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I'm not like, I'm no, you know, caveat this. I'm not the cap guy. I, I know very little about the cap. I recently read uh, one chapter from a book about NBA cap space. So I know a little mm. bit, but, um, what I do know, I've always known is when you have a guy on his rookie deal is when you want to start making aggressive money moves. That's when you want to start signing max guys. Cause he's cheap and you can always re up him without, um, messing with the cap stuff too much that's what they did the Atlanta Hawks did with uh, famously with Trey Young Uh, I can't think of any other examples off the top of my head but um so I guess if we're gonna like we're gonna look for that on ball off ball hybrid scorer that Zach Levine is um it would be a good time to make that splash in free agency now off the top of my head who fits that criteria other than Zach Levine himself I mean like Devin Booker but you know we're not getting Devin Booker um
1: can I I throw a name out yeah please and and I don't know if this is realistic at all but what if the Pistons could make a package to get Jalen Brown wow I mean uh
2: huh because that okay still you don't have because Cade Cunningham like you know we we've talked he's crafty around the rim but he's not a rim pressure guy so who's your rim pressure guy
1: and that's not Jalen. Like that's why I'm asking you. Yeah, you know, because like, I know Jalen
2: Brown. That's the big knock on Brown and Taylor. Okay. They not get to the rim enough. You know, Brown's good at really doing stuff in the mid range and using that strength. And he's a good shooter, a good scorer. But he can't. He's not great at getting to the rim. But Cade does solve the playmaking thing because Cade is a really good playmaker. And I think they could play off each other well. But I'm, I mean, maybe that would mean Hami becomes the rim pressure guy
1: as the as, as the other guy kind of in yeah. that mix that that feel yeah. because you know, it doesn't have like again the DeMar DeRozan Cade Cunningham comparison is not necessarily perfect based on style of play in terms of DeRozan's mid-range and no threes and Kate obviously shoots plenty of threes so it doesn't have to fit exactly the same but like that's that's one that I'm interested in and uh, we've talked about this multiple times on the ep- episode. Like I stay in my lane. I try not to act like an expert whatsoever talking about anybody else. And and I wouldn't call myself an expert about the Pistons, but I do watch every second of their games and rewatch and you're all an of
2: expert. that. Well, you're an expert at this point. There's like <laughs> I, five people in uh, that are
1: non-Detroit personnel that know more about the Pistons than you, I'd say. Well, I appreciate that. But um I just think that Jalen Brown, it sounds like what those guys need is like a calming effect. I think I heard that on a, a podcast I was listening to the other, the other day talking about the Celtics. So that's where I do think like, okay, Cade could be that guy for Jalen Brown. He obviously has a scoring acumen that is very high level. I didn't know the the knock was that he didn't necessarily get to the rim. But I, I don't know that the Pistons have the assets that they could move to actually make it happen. But that seems to maybe be the most realistic possibility because the other guys you brought up are not realistic.
2: Well, I mean, Zach, theoretically, Zach Levine's a free agent. But the way that Chicago has played this year, if the Chicago would have, like, stunk the bed this year, then, you know, maybe you could throw a godfather offer at him. But now he's going to be, like, a max level guy. Chicago will happily sign him. I'm sure he'd, he'd like to be there, you know, with the legacy stuff. And, you know, the, the legacy of being a two guard in Chicago and all that comes with it. It's pretty pleasing, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bryce.
1: No, I I was just going to say that's the, the bulls have ended up making all the right moves. So I don't think there's anything there, um, with that, you know, where maybe 12 months ago, it looked like there may have been a possibility. So, um, and I, I know you're not a huge draft guy, but it doesn't sound like it's necessarily the best draft for a wing player in that mold either. um, it, you know, the, the top guys are, are more bigger guys. I know I've heard it said that Jabari Smith could, pl- or Paolo, I think, you know, can play down to the three possibly, but those guys are more at fours. I don't mean you've talked a little bit about Chet. We, that's kind of like our, uh, this has nothing to do with,
2: um, playing like the three or the two. That's kind of like our ideal guy for the Pistons because of the stew thing. But, um, yeah, I, I really defer to we have so many good draft people. Me and you both know somebody like CJ and Bryce, obviously, but um yeah, let's we'll defer to them on that one. Yeah, I, I no. could give you a good answer there.
1: No, I agree. You brought up Chet though. So I think this is a perfect time to transition to Sheeter Sham and bring in our guy, Wes Davenport, the producer of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Cause Wes texts me literally every single day trying to sell me on Chet Holmgren. And so I think Wes, you can take about just a little bit of time here. And if you want, give the listeners um, your chat pitch. If you would like to do that, you don't have to. And then get us into Sheet or sham
0: Well, listen, I'd love to, but I think for timing, I probably shouldn't. But the, the quick is these big, long block shots, very efficient and can pass. So I'm interested. But so we'll jump into uh, Sheed or Sham. Uh, Bryce, so far you've got two wins. Our guests have got two as well, so you're tied. Uh, We'll jump in with the Jazz first, and obviously uh, Sheed is true because the ball don't lie, and Sham is false. Uh, Matt, I'll ask you this one first since you're the guest. So Sheed or Sham, Donovan Mitchell is taking more shots per game than LeBron James.
1: Sheed. He answered that really fast, so I'm just going to piggyback off of it and say sheet as well. It's sheet, but it's close. Uh, so
0: LeBron is taking 20.4 shots per game, and Donovan Mitchell is taking 20.6. Uh, but Boy, he's one shot. of only nine players averaging more than 20 shots per game.
1: Wow! So there's only nine guys in the NBA. I actually, probably would have. I probably would more. I'm going to tell you right now, Matt. One, this is a big game because it's two-two right now. But also Wes is real, real sneaky with these. He, there's a lot of point twos, point threes here and there. It's it's great stuff. He goes he 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 does his homework. Um, but you gotta really be pretty tight with with these answers. Yeah, no, I would have thought it would have been a little bit more than that, but I guess like
2: when you think of it after the fact, like AD being down, it makes a little bit more sense. His shooting, up uh, So we both got one there. So we'll move on to question number two, Wes.
0: All right, so uh, Sheed or Sham? Uh, Bryce, this one, you first. Boyan Bogdanovich has the highest three-point shooting percentage on the Jazz.
1: Sham.
2: Okay, so are we talking eligible shooters? Like, uh, or yeah. Like, okay.
1: Eh,
2: I'm going to be contrarian because that's the only way I get a win here, so let's do Sheed.
0: It is Sham. Uh, Mike Whoa. Conley has not beat 42.4%. Boyan's at 41. Royce O'Neal third with 40.
1: Speaking
2: good year for Mike Conley,
1: right? That's what I was gonna say. I was listening to, uh, I think it was Locked On NBA, just the general NBA Locked On podcast, and uh, they were for some reason they were talking about this, the the jazz. I think they had a jazz guy on, so they were talking about all their three point percentages. So that's why I was so quick to answer that one. So right now I have two correct. Matt has one. I'm out to the early lead. West question number three.
2: Well, really quick, I'm sorry, Wes. I just gotta say this. Well, you know, like the locked on pods are owned by the the Jazz's play-by-play announcer. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. I probably should know that as much as Koo has me on locked on pistons. I probably should do a little more research so I know what I'm what I'm doing over there.
2: I'm sorry, Wes. I had to I had to give my own little trivia.
0: No, no, I appreciate it. Um all right, so we're gonna move on to the bulls here. Um Sheed or Sham, Matt, back to you on this one. Uh, You first. Lonzo Ball is attempting more threes per game than Zach Levine.
1: Uh, Sham. I'm not going to be – like I'm going to stick with the answer in my head whenever the question was asked, and I was going to say Sham. So I'll say Sham as well. It's Sham, uh, but I got tricky, so they're tied. They're both
0: taking 7.5 threes per game. Holy cow. But Levine's played
2: more games, right? Is yeah. That, okay, that makes more sense. That's cool.
1: I like that. That's that's really that is sneaky. Seven point five per game, Wes, for Lonzo Ball. Yeah. Yep. Him and Zach Levine. Shit. That's all he takes, pretty much. He had to thing.
2: With I know, DeRozan but like, and Levine on the floor with
1: him. <laughs> Killian has a lot further to go than what I realized. I thought he was just shooting a good percentage. I didn't realize he was shooting a good percentage. What's his percentage? I can look it up if you don't have it on off uh, in the notes. Do you happen to have it, Wes? I didn't have it in the notes. I can look it up real quick here. He is shooting 42% from three.
2: Hey right. You should have looked at his rookie year. I'm telling you, Killian, Killian's on track. He's
1: fine. Okay. All right. That makes me feel better. Okay. Hold so you,
2: Hold your Killian style.
1: <laughs> uh I've got all three, I believe, correct so far. Matt has gotten two. Um, Question number four, Wes. All right, so sticking with the Bulls, uh,
0: Bryce, you first. Uh, So Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan are averaging nearly the same uh, number for the following stats, all right? Points, field goals made, field goals attempted, field goal percentage, rebounds, and
2: blocks. Sheed. I'm also going to go Sheed.
0: Wow, you guys both got that one right. It's Sheed. I didn't think I didn't think that uh, you guys would get that one. So, uh, Derozan's averaging 26.4, Levine 26.2 points per game. Both are averaging 9.5 field goals made, uh, 19.4 field goals attempted for Derozan, 19.3 for Levine. Uh, 49.2 from the floor from Levine and 49.1 for DeRozan, five rebounds for DeRozan, 4.9 for Levine, 0.4 blocks
1: uh, for DeRozan, and 0.3 for Levine. So, Matt, if you would have said sham, what would have been the stat that you thought maybe was a little bit different between the two? Because I know what it was for me. Well, okay. So,
2: I sometimes, because I I only look at true shooting usually. So, I, I know that their true shooting is pretty different. So when you said field goal percentage, I got got a little worried, but I figured, you know, field goal percentage, it made a little more sense to me that it would be the same. Because you named quite a few stats. I figured if you were going to say that many stats, like, it was going to be close. And I know their numbers are really similar, so...
1: I was going to go, I, I thought maybe the blocks, but you know what I love whenever our guests come on West and they give us the little reverse psychology thing and, or, you know, their little strategies for how they answer. I don't remember if it was our last guest or uh, Chris coach. Oh, we didn't play Sheeter Shan with coach Oliver. So it wouldn't been, been the episode before, you know, they're just like, Oh, you said it this way, or you said it that way. I think maybe Omari Sankofa from the Detroit. Yeah, it was Press. Omari. Omari was giving us little insights into how he was deciding his answer. So, um. We're through four questions. I'm up four to three. I'm perfect so far tonight. Um, I don't know what it is. It's a great night. We're recording this Monday night again. Um, so it's a great night to be a Pistons fan as they got that win. And, and for me, with with four straight correct answers. I don't know how many more we have, Wes. I only have two left, and
0: then there's a tiebreaker if we need it. Perfect. That'll work out great. All right. Uh, we'll jump right back in. Uh, Raptors are up next. Uh, Matt, I'll have you go first. So Sheed or Sham? Gary Trent Jr. leads the Raptors in stocks per game.
2: Uh, that's weird because they all have so many stocks. That's like a, the, the stocks team. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say Sheed because he was in the beginning of the year leading the league in like deflections or something like that.
1: Uh, Wes was really proud of a couple of these, and I, I feel like this has to be one of them. I'm going to stick with my original answer, which was going to be Sham.
0: It is Sheed. <sighs> ah. ooh. Yeah, so he's averaging two point three stocks. Uh second is Fred Van Vliet with two point two. Ogn and Obi has two. Scotty Barnes has one point nine and then Siakam with one point seven.
2: Yeah, I was saying that is a good one. Because that, that team that whole team is just like stocks, guys.
1: That, well done, Wes. Well done. So we are tied four to four. We'll go to the final question unless we both just are adamant about answering it the same, and then we'll still have a tiebreaker.
0: All right. Well, uh, Bryce, I'll have you go first, then give you the, the host advantage. So, uh, Scotty Barnes averages the most minutes per game of any rookie this year, Sheed or Sham? I'm going to go with Sheed. I'm also
2: going to go with Sheed. <sighs>
0: Sheed. <laughs> He's averaging 35.5 minutes per game. Mobley's second, 33.8, and then Cade's third,
1: 32.2. Interesting. Okay. Do you have any of the list beyond that, Wes? Uh, no, I didn't okay. I just didn't know if you know like where Wagner was and some of those guys as well. I always do that to you. I'm sorry, I feel bad you 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 I look always try and the- guess what you're gonna ask <laughs> <laughs> my bad, my bad, all right, here we go. tiebreaker question um here before we close out the episode, okay, uh Matt, you go first, so Sheed or sham, bowl Bull bowl's career high
0: minutes played in a single game, less than twenty minutes sham. Yeah, I mean, I it's sham. It is sham.
1: Uh, his rookie year, he played 24 <laughs> minutes in a, in a loss to the Blazers. In the bubble. Right, in, the, in the bubble. That was in the bubble. That was, I think it was their first game in the bubble. I just watched that film today, Monday.
0: All right, well, I got a Hail Mary
1: for you then. Let's go. Uh, did,
0: Jer- did Jeremy Grant score 20 points in that game?
1: Oh, shit. Um. So did Jeremy Grant score? Sham. He played the Pistons in that game. No, he was on the Nuggets then. Oh, oh my God! You're right; they were teammates. Uh, so was Mason. So was Mason Plumley. We've taken that that team from Bull Bull's rookie year. We just transplanted them to Detroit. We just got to get that one three hundred pound sweaty guy, and we'll be good. <laughs> but um, I'm
2: so you said. What did you say? It's said sham? Twenty points in that. I said sham. Okay, I'm I'm gonna say she just because to end the madness one way or another. <laughs>
1: It's Sham. He had 18. Yes. Dame put up 45, though. Yo, Dame was nice. They were stroking it in that game. And actually, Gary Trent, that was before the trade. So it would have been Gary Trent Jr. still, right? Yeah. Gary Trent Jr. hit some huge shots in that game as well. That was before the the trade for Norman Powell. Powell chair. Yeah. Yep. So, all right, Wes. Good stuff today. That was really good. You were prepared. You had a bonus and then a, a Hail Mary one. I move ahead three to two, but... Um, I'll put up Matt's basketball mind against anybody. And I thank him so much for joining us for the third time, which Matt just, I know you keep track of this stuff. I'm pretty sure that's tied for that the most Mads. times. Yeah. Yes. I, I believe Omari's been on three times and that might be it. So you're up there Mavs with draft. A,
2: Uh,
1: Mavs draft has been on three times. So, and those guys are big time and really good friends. And so I just want you to make sure you realize how high you rank with Motor City Hoops and myself as well.
2: Oh no! It means a lot, man. I know. I know. I'm getting. I'm getting up there with your your best buddies list. Um.
1: Hopefully, one day I
2: could be in the top spot.
1: No, no doubt. No doubt. Um. Thank you again, Matt, for enjoy, for joining us. Definitely have you back. And, and just let everybody know where where you're doing stuff, where you're creating content, where it's all going out, where they can find you on Twitter.
2: Uh yeah, best way to follow me is um at Mattissa15. That's at M A T I S S A15. Uh, I'm doing a bunch of weird stuff these days, you know for basketball news one thirty seven p m rise network um maybe a couple other places soon. who knows but uh no, thanks for having me on, Thanks for giving me the chance to talk some business.
1: No doubt. As always, I want to thank Wes Davenport for everything he does for myself and Motor City Hoops as a whole. I want to encourage all of you again to give us a follow on Twitter at Motor City Hoops and go subscribe to the YouTube channel. And if you like what you're hearing and seeing from Motor City Hoops, make sure you tell a friend about us and help spread the word and keep us growing. We will not be able to do any instant recap episodes this week due to my coaching schedule with games not matching up correctly with the Pistons schedule, but we will be back next Tuesday with Jared Greenberg of NBA on TNT and NBA TV to get his thoughts on this Pistons roster from an outside perspective with a special focus on the trade value members of the roster might hold. Please make sure you join us next week for what will be another incredible episode. Thank you. Go Pistons. And we'll talk to you soon. (laughs) Three, <laughs>